What a joyous blessing for us to be together and share in these good things that we've been a part of this morning already. I want to welcome those who may be online with us and certainly uh, hope you feel welcome, those who are with us today. We are gathered together as family this morning. We've come together to worship God through Christ who has adopted us to Him as His children, and that is a great blessing in itself. If you're tuning in later, if you found these on the website and you're listening in, we welcome you as well. We welcome any questions you may have. Please feel free uh, after the lesson to uh, get in touch with us. We'd love to talk with you more about these things more deeply and study with you about these things because these are the things that are pleasing to God. The importance of what's going on here today is His Word that we'll be sharing in. It has nothing to do with my uh, personal self, but with the Word that we're looking at from God. And we pray that this time will be a blessing. We pray that you'll open your Bibles and study together with us. Look at this text in John chapter 9, as Jesus and his disciples have passed by and come across this blind man. And I want us to consider this time that we're in, this pandemic, there's panic going on. When I first put this lesson together, it was early in the pandemic, and there was a lot more panic going on. In our country, at least, it seems to have kind of leveled out. The numbers have gone way down. But there still is a good bit of fear about this virus. We don't understand how it works. We don't understand how the vaccine works, if it works. We're still sort of testing these things out. And I think there's some lessons we can learn by seeing how Jesus and his disciples deal with this blind man that they come across on, uh, during Jesus' uh, walking and teaching here. And so they come across this man who's been blind from birth. And the first thing I want us to point out, first thing I want to see from this text is that speculation about blame is unhelpful. The disciples right away said, well, somebody had to have sinned here, Jesus. Was it, was it this man or was it his parents? Kind of an interesting question. How did this man sin? He was born blind. But that is this kind of uh, current question in their mind. And that's what's happened with this pandemic. Where, where has this virus come from? Well, we all know that China sent it over. Well, do we know that? I, I don't know that we know that. We suspect some things. But can we, can we really blame China for what happened? Well, what about, it's all Trump's fault, or it's all Biden's fault maybe now. Depends on which camp you're in, or maybe some president before him that didn't set us up like we ought to have been set up, and so now we're struggling because of these things. And some people have even gone as far as, well, you, you should have been more careful. You're to blame. You shouldn't have been out where you got infected. You weren't wearing a mask. You were breathing in people's faces. What do you think was going to happen? And we start casting blame on people who are ill, some of them who are facing certain death, and really, speculation about blame is, is, not, is not helpful in a situation like this. Blaming this blind man or his parents is not helpful. Who sinned? This man or his parents. What's the problem with casting blame? Well, first off, it doesn't deal with the facts of the situation. It doesn't change the facts at all. We're in a situation. There is a pandemic or an endemic at this point, perhaps here. There's a pandemic in the rest of the world in many places. But there is this sickness upon us. And so that doesn't change anything if we just start trying to blame the other person. It's not going to make me feel better in the end. If I'm sick and I die from this, it doesn't help me that I was blaming somebody else for it. So we need to understand that that's not really helpful. It doesn't help anyone who's facing the situation. Well, you know you're only sick because China released this virus. How does that help? What Jesus has come to do is he's come to help. And he's come to teach there is a pandemic that's always ongoing. And it's much bigger than the pandemic of this coronavirus. It's sin. And the coronavirus is just an aspect of that pandemic that's always raging. And so there's an application to this teaching that goes far beyond this time in which we live. And maybe we won't even get 
affected by this pandemic personally. We may never get sick. Some of us have gotten sick and got over it pretty quickly. Some got sick and suffered and then got over it. Some have already been fully vaccinated and don't expect to get sick. Others are not going to get vaccinated and also don't expect to get sick. Who knows? There's such randomness about this. But you are under attack from sin every single day. And there are those who won't even get affected by the, the pandemic of this virus who are struggling with other physical maladies. Some of our members have chronic ailments because of the major pandemic that's on. It's all a result of sin. And so as we look at these things that, that Jesus is going to deal with with this blind man, let's understand that overarching context. We are all dealing with the pandemic of sin, and it has terrible effects, physical effects even, on our own bodies. All of us eventually are going to die. And it's because of the major pandemic that we're all suffering under. And so it doesn't help to just start casting blame or to, uh, to throw, it doesn't help ourselves to understand the fact, it doesn't help the person who's suffering if we just start throwing blame. It's so easy to want to blame people for the, the consequences of the sins they're suffering, and sometimes they are to blame. But I don't believe we start with, well, you wouldn't be in this situation if you just hadn't done these things. Now, there may be some correction that needs to happen right away for things not to get worse. Jesus did heal people and say, now go and sin no more. We may need to deal with some addiction, some situation that's going on at the moment. There's nothing wrong with dealing with that, but just throwing blanket blame on someone. Say, well, if you just live differently, that is true. But speaking the truth in love is going to build the confidence in how to live differently as we reveal to them God's plan. And that's what Jesus is doing as he's going through teaching these things among Israelites, among those who would consider themselves to be faithful children of God, and yet they're suffering because of sin. So Jesus comes and he helps. So Jesus answers, neither this man nor his parents sinned. It's not a question of they're directly affecting themselves. This is just the way things are. He says in verse 3, the truth is there are some things we just can't see in order to judge. And yet somehow we set ourselves up as judges. Well, I can tell you why his life's a mess. Whew! Now, there may be some visible things, but why are those visible things there? What are the unseen things that led this person to choose those kind of terrible, destructive things in their life? That's really the root of the problem that we need to get to. When we go to see a doctor, a good doctor won't just put a Band-Aid on this open, gaping wound. He's going to find out what's the cause of that wound. He's going to begin to analyze, and he's going to diagnose. And that's really what the Scriptures help us to do. They help us to analyze and diagnose where the real problem is so we can get to the root of sin and root that out so that these wounds don't just keep recurring and the sickness doesn't just keep going on. But to just show up and start throwing a Band-Aid on somebody and slapping them with the Bible... That's not going to help. So there's some things we can't see. We need to be careful about our just overarching judgments. And as I was saying, blindness, coronavirus, death, these are all part of the vanity that the world has been subject to. We're studying in Romans chapter 8 uh, last week, and we looked at this text a couple of weeks ago. Romans chapter 8, verses 20 to 22. For the creation was subjected to futility, to vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. We are all under this futility, this vanity that the, the creation has been subject to. And the truth is, in this text, 
God is the one who subjected the world. It wasn't China, after all, that subjected the world. It's not the U.S. president and his bad policy. It's not even people that have just stumbled into sin. Sin is in the world, and God has allowed the effects of sin to be here. He's allowed the world to be subject to this. And the text says, in hope. There's something God intends to happen as we look at the way sin is destroying us. He expects us to look that there must be something better, something beyond that surely this world cannot be an end to itself. I want to look with you, uh, with you real quick at Amos chapter 4. In Amos chapter 4, God is speaking to his people, as well as to the nations around, and he's talking about sending to them brokenness. This is God speaking. But I want you to notice the point of this. We mentioned this some in our class on Acts today as well. Amos 4, I'm going to start at verse 6. Also, I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities. That does not mean they had good dental work. It means there was a lack of bread, the second part of the verse says. They had no food, so their teeth were clean. They were starving. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. Why did I let you go hungry? So you would turn to me. I'm the source of all that you need. I let you go hungry because I wanted you to come to me and say, I need something to eat. <laughs> Verse 7, I also withheld rain from you. When there were still three months to the harvest, I made it rain on one city, I withheld rain from another city. One part was rained upon, and where it did not rain, the part withered. So two or three cities wandered to another city to drink water. But they were not satisfied. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I blasted you with blight and mildew. When your gardens increased, your vineyards, your fig trees, and your olive trees, the locusts devoured them. Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. I could go on. <laughs> Over and over these things are happening. Now, these are very specific things God was talking about, but normally, in a generic way, this world has been affected by sin, and God hopes we'll look at that and turn to Him. He is the only escape. He's the only answer when we're suffering at the ravages of sin, even sin that we've inflicted on ourselves. He is the only answer to get us out of the mess we've gotten ourselves into. And so God has allowed this world to be subjected to this futility and hope. But when we begin to speculate and sensationalize the way things are, when we look at Facebook every single day to see how many more people are infected and how many more are blaming who, it leads us to focus on negatives. What does Jesus focus on here as he comes across this blind man? He focuses on the positive, on hope. And we'll see he brings light into the darkness of this man's life. It's amazing how Jesus was always able to focus on the positive even in very, very negative situation. And so we're going to look at that a little bit in our text today. Truth is, crisis, difficult times, is an opportunity to see the work of God. The way Jesus responds here is amazing to me. I struggled with this at first. The apostles are looking at the work of Satan here. <laughs> who sinned? <laughs> who is it that did this? Satan's the one who tries to keep us bound up in sin. That's the devil's work. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Specifically, the point made by the Hebrew writer here is the power that Satan has because of sin. Hebrews 2, verses 14 through 18. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, for indeed he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid to the seed of Abraham. Therefore in all things he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, 
to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. The point is, Jesus became like one of us, so we know that he understands what we're going through. He suffered in all the ways that we do, but he didn't sin. But he was tempted in every way as we are. And he understands what the devil's work is on humans. He understands it experientially now. It's interesting that in Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, when Ananias and Sapphira come and they give their offering and they seem to be hoping for some kind of a, a reward of outward recognition, Peter says, how is it that Satan has filled your heart to do this thing? Satan's the one who is dealing in sin. And the focus here when they say who sinned, this man or his parents, they're, they're thinking of the working of Satan. Was it this man or was it his parents? That's an accusation, isn't it? <laughs> they're trying to point out who, who must have done the sinning here. But being the accuser, that's one of Satan's names. That's <laughs> what it is to be a devil. And it's not what God's servants are about. In Revelation chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, the dragon, that serpent of old, the one who seduces the whole world, the one who accuses the saints, he's cast out of heaven. He's got no more place to go before God and accuse the saints because there's an advocate now. Jesus is there. Jesus the righteous is advocating for us. It's not our place to be the accusers. Now, we need to call out sin when we see it. We need to help people see where their problems are. But it's not our place to accuse. And the apostles, when they first saw this man, they said, somebody sinned here. <laughs> was it him or was it his parents? And that's not helpful. Jesus is looking at the work of God. <laughs> They're focused on the work of Satan. Jesus says, let's see the work of God. What a great perspective. What a great change of perspective for them. He says, it's neither him nor his parents. It's that the works of God should be revealed in him. Now, Sickness, crisis sickness, chronic illness, as hard as that is to struggle through and deal with, is an opportunity to see the work of God. The Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, he struggled, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he struggled with this thorn in the flesh. He said he asked the Lord three times, he begged him that he might remove it from him. But the Lord said, my grace is sufficient. Well, he learned how to glorify God in that. He learned that when he's weak because of his thorn in the flesh, but then he's strong because it's the Lord who's carrying him through everything. It was an opportunity for him to see how much God was actually working in him. So the Lord left that thorn in his flesh. Now when Jesus says here, this is so that the work of God should be revealed in him, certainly Jesus knows what he's going to do. In John chapter 6, it is interesting when uh, we see the, the feeding of the 5,000 there. In John chapter 6 verse 5, uh, Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Verse 6 says, he said this to test him, for he knew what he was going to do. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He's, he's aware, and yet he's, he's allowing Philip to participate and the other apostles to participate, and he's testing sort of their ability to deal with feeding this multitude, and he wants them to learn how to feed them spiritually, obviously. In John chapter 11, later on, in the case of, uh, of Lazarus, Jesus specifically waits until Lazarus dies. He hears that Lazarus is not well, and he delays. And he does that so that when he goes up, he can then show the power of God in resurrecting Lazarus. They were all saying, if you had been here, then he wouldn't have died. But look at verse 15 of John 11. I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then he goes up and he resurrects Lazarus. What a 
beautiful image that left indelibly on the hearts and minds of those who were involved in that. And still here for us as John registered it for us. So Jesus knew what he was going to do. And the point is, he does care for his servants. He's aware that we're suffering. He understands that this world brings heavy things into our lives. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. Here's Peter who suffered as an apostle. Here's Peter who gave up his life to serve the Lord. But here's what he says about uh, God's uh, thinking of us. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, 1 Peter 5, 6, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Jesus is encouraging them to pray for the things they need. He says, but your father already knows that you have need of these things, and yet, he says, pray for them. Come to your father to ask for the things that you need. He knows what you need, and he wants to give it to you. But he wants you to recognize that he's the source. In truth, there's never a need for panic and fear. I love the, uh, this account of Jesus in the boat with his apostles. And, you know, the four of these men, at least, are professional fishermen. And they're going across the Sea of Galilee, and this terrible storm comes up. And Mark has, I think, the best account of this. Verse 38, the, you know, the boat's filling up with water. The wind and waves are just atrocious. And it says, and he was in the stern asleep on a pillow. <laughs> You know, we see Jesus while we're reading the, the gospel accounts, kind of like Superman. He's standing with a little spit curl, and he's got his cape blowing in the storm, and he's standing up asleep in the front of the ship. But no, what they saw was a man who was wore out from the day's work, who's fallen asleep, and he's in such a heavy sleep that even the storm's not waking him up. And so they call out, don't you care that we're perishing? And in verse 40, he says, why are you so fearful? How do you have no faith? Aren't you God's servants? So what if you die in this storm? I mean, well, that's a hard thing to think about. What if you die in this storm? Do you think that's apart from God's will? Are you not God's servants? Why are you so fearful? In reality, he's showing them there is nothing in this world that's worth panicking and being fearful over if we're faithfully serving the Lord. Jesus is with them. And as soon as he tells them, don't be faithless and fearful, he's already calming the waves with just a word. And then they're fearful of him. They ought to be. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7. Paul has dealt with so much that is fearful in this world. But 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7, he says, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. He's given us the courage to preach the truth without panicking, without being fearful about what's going to happen when we do that, and to face the storms of life, whatever they may be, because we know this life is going to come to an end. Now, I'm not saying we go fight and, and try to find a storm that we can just rage through. That's not the point. The storms are going to come. <laughs> and we'll see that in just a moment. The point is that love casts out fear. 1 John 4, verse 18. Perfect love casts out fear. It makes it so that we can serve God and man in the proper way. That we're not panicked by the things that come up. We are even-keeled. We're aware that God is also aware of it, that he's already working on it before we even find out about it, but that we're going to do all we can to be involved to help those who are struggling in the midst of the storm. Jesus comes upon a man when he's walking through the cities of Galilee in Mark chapter 1, verses 40 and 41. He's between towns and a leper comes up to him. And this leper kneels down to him and says, Sir, if you are willing, you can cleanse me. <laughs> he shows great faith there. 
And we see Jesus reach out to touch him. And I can imagine all the apostles going, no, he's got leprosy. Jesus is not panicked by this unclean man who could contaminate him. He's Jesus. He knows he's getting ready to heal him. But yet, he's teaching the apostles something as he reaches out, moved with compassion. How many of us would have gone, okay, I'll talk to you, but stay back. Stay where you are. I admit, I had an encounter with a leper in one of the colonies in Brazil. I wasn't expecting what I saw. And I didn't react in the way I would like to have thought I would have reacted. He came up and began to ask for, for alms. And I backed away before I realized even what I was doing. Now, I would have read this text and thought, sure, I'd have been right there like with Jesus. That's not what happened. I'm ashamed to say that. If I'd been a little more informed, a little more faithful, perhaps I would have reacted differently. But Jesus reached out, moved with compassion for this man and said, I'm willing, be cleansed. And he touched this man who likely hadn't been touched in years. And the man was cleansed on the spot. Jesus didn't panic. <laughs> he wanted to help. And so he took the man in the situation he was in. He was focused on the work of God. And that's really what we need to do. As we face this pandemic, as we face whatever chronic illnesses, we face the difficulties that come in our lives, we need to learn to do as Moses exhorted all those years ago, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. In Exodus 14, that's what he said when they were wondering, how are we going to escape Pharaoh's army? That looked like a moment of panic, and Moses said, be still. Don't panic. Be still. You're going to miss what God's doing if you're panicked. He said, just march. He said, hold up your staff and tell them to march into the sea. And as they began to march, then God opened the sea. What a blessing when they stood still to see the salvation of the Lord. Now, God may provide a way out. He did for the Israelites. In Daniel chapter 3, when you've got Daniel's friends there saying, well, we don't have to answer you about this matter. We're not going to bow down and worship your idols. If the Lord chooses to save us, he will. But if not, we're still not going to give in to your idols. They were thrown into the furnace. In the furnace, God then saved them. He did not let them go into the furnace. That's an amazing thing to think about. But they weren't panicked about their response. They said, this is what we're going to do. We can't turn our backs on God. In Matthew chapter 26, we see Jesus in the garden. He's not panicked. He's looking for the working of God. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. What a great prayer for someone who's suffering. If possible. I know, Father, you can do all things. With you, nothing is impossible. If this is possible, then please take it from me. But if it's not, then your will be done and not my own. What a difficult thing to pray in the midst of difficult situation. Yet that's what Jesus prayed and he said the same words two other times. And the answer was, it's not possible. <laughs> you must go to the cross. And Jesus went to the cross. Sometimes God will take the situation away. Sometimes he'll strengthen us for the situation. That's what we see in the book of Acts. When they're being threatened by the religious leadership and they pray, Lord, give us strength to keep preaching. And that's what the Lord did. He didn't take the threats away. In fact, they were beaten the very next time. <laughs> and yet, they continued preaching every single day, publicly and from house to house, because they were looking to see the work of God. 
if a way out does come, does man deserve the credit? <laughs> this virus goes away. Is it because of all the vaccinations that finally the virus went away? That's what will be preached about. That's what will be talked about on the news. But who's the one that's in control of all this? It's the Lord. He deserves the credit. If I get sick and I recover, is it just because I've got such a great immune system? Because I've just done so much, took so much vitamin D or whatever? God deserves the credit for that. Even if the medicine works, God deserves the credit for that. It doesn't always work. <laughs> Some people take the medicine and die anyway. Who gets the credit for the ones who, who survive? God does. Who gets the credit for the ones that have gone on to be with Him? <laughs> God does. He is the source and the reason for all. And we need to see the works of God. And so our questions ought to be not, who did this? <laughs> what, have, what have we done to cause this? Who's going to fix it? It should be, how is God going to resolve this? We ought to change our focus from looking for blame. Even when someone has sinned against us and they have harmed us and we are suffering physically because of it. In the end, the question ought to be, how is God going to resolve this? He may use me to resolve this with the person who sinned against me. <laughs> There's a brother in Brazil who had gone to prison to preach to a man who was in prison. He wasn't put in prison. This man was in prison because he had killed somebody. In a drunken stupor, he'd run over someone on the side of the road who was changing a tire. This brother who was in the prison preaching to him was the brother of the girl who was killed. It was his physical sister. And he went to preach the gospel to this man. That's something that's done in Christ. That's how can God resolve this issue. Instead of me being bitter toward this man who was out drinking and ran over my beloved family member, how can I bring him to the Lord? How can God resolve this issue? He was drinking because of some problem he's got. God can fix that. That's how you respond, looking at how God is going to resolve the issue. How might God use me during the course of this issue? What can I be doing in this pandemic? What can I be doing as I'm suffering myself? What can I be doing if I'm not suffering, but I know someone who is? How can God resolve this issue and involve me in it? Because I'm his child, and I want him to receive the glory. What can I be doing? That's what Jesus was looking at. So it's not just an opportunity to see the work of God be done. It's an opportunity to do the work of God. That's the blessing. And that's what Jesus is talking about. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are right now. It's daytime. So let's get to work. Let's be doing what we can while we have opportunity. I must work while it is day. And it's not just any work. But if we panic and focus on the crisis, what do we do? We turn inward. We begin to serve ourselves. I've got to put up all my protection walls. I've got to do everything I can not to get this. And so I just withdraw. Oh, I don't want to go out because I might get sick. You might. You might get hit by an airplane that falls out of the sky. There's a lot of things that could happen. Is that just going to keep us from going out? The proverb says, I can't go out to the field today. There might be a lion in the streets. That man's field is never going to get plowed. We can talk about the possibilities and the risks of everyday life. They're always there. We like to think we're in control, but we're not. Some of us may not make it home this afternoon. We think we are. It's probable that we will, but we may not. But if we panic and focus on that, it makes us turn into serving only ourselves. When we trust in God and begin to focus on His will, that will then lead us to serve others. That's what Jesus does here. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Look at verse 5 of John 9. As long as I am in the world, 
I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I am he. <laughs> Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? He answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Jesus was looking at how he could do the works of God. He wasn't blaming this man. He wasn't blaming this man's parents. He said, here's an opportunity for God to be glorified. Philippians chapter 2, we see that that's Jesus' character. That's exactly what, uh, uh, what Paul is encouraging the Philippian brethren to be like. But I want you to look at the first verses there before he says, have this mind of Christ. He says in verses uh, 3 and 4, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. How can I be useful with all that's going on? 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you look at the whole context there, it's Paul, all of the things he suffered as he was serving the Christians. He begins that whole context saying, those who are, who are abusing you, they call themselves apostles. Are they apostles? I'm much more than they were. Are they, are they Hebrews? I'm much more of a Hebrew than they are. He says, no, I'm boasting, but allow me to boast. And he starts boasting about all the things that he suffered. Being beaten, being robbed, being in nakedness, in peril, and before the sword. All of these things that he's been through, shipwrecked so many times. But he says at the end, in verse 28, besides those external things... What comes upon me daily? My deep concern for all the churches. It's the reason he went through all those things. He wasn't focused on himself. He was focused on what could he be doing for them because they were all suffering in the crisis of the pandemic that was with them since really when they left the garden. <laughs> Sin was overcoming all of these people. And so Paul said, I've got to be there. And he went and he did as much as he could possibly do. I must work while it is day, but I must work the works of him who sent me, is what Jesus said. It's not just any old work, but it's the work of God that needs to be done when there's a crisis on. And you think about this, and this is true of us as well. People are in fear. People are hurting. People are in need, physical and spiritual need. We, we tend to be focused on the physical because of this, this disease around us. There is so much spiritual damage being done because of the isolation and the loneliness and the lack of being able to be together. The Bible has the answer to every single one of those problems. And we have the Bible. <laughs> so we ought to be serving. We ought to be working while it is day, working the works of God. If you're well, you haven't been affected by the pandemic that's always on in a way that's physical and brings you down, or a way that's spiritual and renders you useless to others. If you're well, you can visit, you can call, take somebody groceries. If they don't want you to come into their house, drop the groceries off. That's, most people are over that phase, but there was a time when that's a real service. Certainly can call and pray with someone, can study with them on the phone. Servants are known by their service. That was something that Jesus had to teach the apostles. They want to know who was going to be the greatest. He said the one that serves the most. That's the greatest because that's what a servant is. It's one who serves. In John 13, they were shocked when he, being their rabbi, their master 
girded his own loins and bent down and washed their feet. They were so shocked by that. He said, I'm showing you that what I'm doing for you, you must do. I'm serving. The truth is, we know that a crisis is coming. The devil's always out there. He's working to bring us down. And so we must prepare ourselves for God's work before the crisis comes. We've always got to be preparing ourselves. 2 Timothy 2.15 and 2 Timothy uh, 3.16 and 17, they're verses that really, we talk about them a lot, but think about how much they talk about being prepared. 2 Timothy 2.15, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It's not just saying, one day you'll probably get there. <laughs> saying, start now. Be diligently preparing what happens so often is as Christians, we're reactive. Something happens and we're like, oh no, what do I do? Let's go find a verse for that. If we're proactive, if we're constantly studying and building ourselves up on his word, when something happens, we can say like Jesus, why are you so fearful? Isn't God your God? Doesn't he say this about this situation? Because we know it. We've been studying it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Not just that I go, like dust it off from the shelf whenever something happens. All right, I know there's a recipe in here somewhere for how to deal with this. No, it means as I'm studying it, it's building me and completing me for any good work that comes along, no matter what it is. If it's a good work of God, I'll be prepared for it. We are fighting against not flesh and blood, spiritual powers. And there's a spiritual need that we can only be built for for studying his word regularly. And the storms of life are always on the horizon. Jesus ended his Sermon on the Mount talking about two men building houses. And one built on this great foundation of rock, which were Jesus saying as he was listening to them and doing them. Another man listened to them, and then he went and he built his house on the sand because he wasn't doing what Jesus said. But what's true about both of those houses is the storm came. <laughs> they both built houses, that, then the storm came. And one of the men had not prepared for the storm because he heard the beautiful language of Jesus, but he didn't put it into practice. And so his house was destroyed by the storm. We are the house. <laughs> As we're listening to Jesus' word, if we're building on those and practicing those in our lives, whatever crisis comes along, we recognize he is powerful enough to handle it. <laughs> The first time in the boat, the apostles freaked out. They didn't know what to do. The next time they invited Jesus into the boat, he's walking on the waves in the next storm. He comes and gets in the boat with them and the storm ceases. They knew what to do then. We need Jesus in the boat. That's a silly kind of illustration, but I think it beautifully pictures it. And Jesus is with us in the boat. The storms are calm. It doesn't matter. He calms them. The storms are always on the horizon. I don't know where you are in this pandemic. I'm not talking about coronavirus, though. Are you prepared for the inevitable storm that is coming? It's coming. Whatever house you're building, will it resist in the day of crisis? One day, Hebrews 9.27 says, we all have an appointment with death. It doesn't matter if we're as healthy as we can be until we're 99, our bodies are going to begin to fail us. And we're going to face sickness and death. How are we going to face that? Are we going to face it with hope? Because we've listened to the one who says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. I came to prepare a place for you so that where I am you can be with me. And then gave his life and took it up again and went to that place.
to prepare it. If we've been listening to him, we'll look at any storm that comes along and we'll be focused on what would he do? What is the work of God in this? How can I be helpful in the midst of this crisis? And how can God be glorified in the midst of this crisis? If we're not looking at him, if all we're doing is looking at the world and we're trying to throw blame on someone because they've messed up what I thought was going to be a perfect day, we're going to have a miserable life here. Almost every day is not going to be perfect. We are going to face these crises. We would love to help you to learn how to deal with them. If you're not a Christian, you need to resolve that today. We can help you to build on the rock. We can teach you what that means. And we can encourage you to learn for yourself how to apply those principles the rest of your life. So that whatever crisis comes along, there's no need for panic. Because with God, we can get through it together. If you are a Christian, and you've been living somewhat panicked because of what sin has done in your life, because you see the ravages externally of what sin is doing in this world, if that's got you panicked, we can help you with that as well. We're together as a family. We can hold each other up as we go through the storm together. What a beautiful thing to have each other. It's God's design. We help you this day. Whatever your need may be, why don't you make it known to us? We're going to stand and sing this song to encourage your decisions.